You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade. Joined as always by my co-host David Drogemeyer, and we are two writers who got our start at San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog, and we've been covering the Chargers now for over six seasons, doing our own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live, which airs weekly. And now this is our fourth season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. What's up, guys? Well, we do have to start the show on a somber note because I think, like many of you, we were truly shocked yesterday to learn of the passing of Vincent Jackson, a Chargers great. So we're definitely going to start the show off today by paying a little tribute to him and just kind of talking about our initial reaction and also talking about how great he was as a Charger, how much of a fan favorite he was, and how the Chargers you know, made the wrong decision probably to let him go in free agency when he left. He should have stayed with the Chargers. So we'll get into all that and just pay tribute to a great Chargers receiver. But welcome into anyone who is checking out the show for the first time. Special thank you to all of our loyal fans checking back in with us again. If you guys don't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast from. Also on today's show, we did get a little bit of news that the Chargers are one of three teams that are interested in Orlando Brand Jr. or have expressed some interest as Jason Lockhamfora has reported. But we'll also talk about how we have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. And we'll also add some, you know, voicemails into that segment as well, just talking about Orlando Brand Jr. And then in the final segment of the show, we're going to get into some more voicemails. We're going to get into a tribute to Marty Schottenheimer and what he meant to young Charger fans when he was the coach. And we'll also get into why having a good offensive line and a good defensive line is so important and how that kind of played out in the Super Bowl. But let's go ahead and get into it. We have to start the show with some sad news today because there were reports everywhere yesterday that Vincent Jackson had passed away at the age of 38. The way it happened is being investigated, but I do not want to focus on how it happened. I just really want to just talk about how sad it is to see someone like this, David, who was such an outstanding player for the Chargers. It didn't end nicely with the Chargers, but that didn't stop the fans from still loving him. As a guy who followed the Chargers pretty much my whole life growing up in San Diego, he was probably, you know, my first favorite wide receiver. He just was always the guy that would celebrate after a first down. He was always the one that would get up and talk in your face. And he was just so exciting interacting with the fans on the sidelines and just, you know, consistently making such a big plays for the team. So this is some extremely sad news, especially to see someone like this who played such a big part in my childhood and my early fandom of the team pass away so early. I mean, you're not the only one. I mean, I was definitely right there as well with you watching the Chargers. I mean, we're right around the same age. So it was LT, it was Malcolm Floyd, it was Antonio Gates, and it was Vincent Jackson. I mean, Vincent Jackson did some incredible things. I think just to remind myself, I went back and watched a Vincent Jackson highlight film, and man, does it take me back to how incredible this guy was. He was six foot five, two hundred and forty pounds, but could run like a gazelle. I mean, he had great route running ability, and uh, I mean, 
you expect him to jump over you and you expected him to make those big plays, but you didn't necessarily expect him to run past you. And he was able to do all of that. He was so dynamic for the Chargers. I mean, whenever Phillip Rivers wanted the, that deep shot, it seemed like he was either going to Malcolm Floyd or he, was over, or he was going to Vincent Jackson. And more times than not, Vincent Jackson was bringing that ball down as evidenced by his yards per reception. Uh, stats during his career it's absolutely incredible what he was able to do when you were throwing the ball to Vincent Jackson you were getting a big play out of it more times than not when you could tell he was like Phil Rivers favorite receiver too just because he could just throw it up and he had the ultimate trust in Vincent Jackson to come down with it especially over the middle of the field he was definitely a physical receiver in that sense I mean Philip definitely led him into the air a few times in some dangerous areas of the field but he was also pretty clutch, too. I mean, a lot of big moments in playoff pushes, playoff games even at times from Vincent Jackson with the Chargers. And when you look at what his Chargers career was, I mean, if he had finished out his career with the Chargers, he'd be up there with some of the greats. But even in his seven seasons where he didn't play a lot his first couple of years, I mean, he still had ridiculous stats with the Chargers. I mean, seven years, 272 catches. 4,754 yards, averaging 17.5 yards per catch out of all the Chargers ever who have caught at least 100 passes. That ranks fourth in franchise history. He ranks third in franchise history in yards per target right after Malcolm Floyd and having both of those guys on the field at the same time. Two six four plus receivers out there was pretty hard for a lot of 5'11 DBs to match up with and it was really fun back then when they had those guys going at the same time and for his career, he still put up an incredible 12-year career, but he is still tied for 8th in franchise history in touchdown receptions, and he's also still 10th in franchise history in receiving yards. So David, I mean, even in that short amount of time, he was still able to put up pretty ridiculous stats, and I know that he, having watched all of his games that he played in, is probably a lot better than just his Charger stats would probably show. No question about it. I mean, like I like to talk, like I talked about when you were expecting a long bomb, you know, he was going to come down with that a lot of the time. But he also, you know, was a good intermediate and short route runner as well. You just get the ball in his hands and watch this guy run and and gallop. And honestly, Daniel, I mean, I don't really understand why the Chargers let him go when he had put up such ridiculous numbers and had such great rapport with Philip Rivers. This was before Keenan Allen came into the picture and this was a go-to target like you like you talked about it, he had that same chemistry that he had with Antonio Gates that he had with Vincent Jackson. He just knew that that was a comfortable person for him to throw the football to and so when the free agent when that free agency period came up and you know Vincent Jackson obviously was looking for a lot of money and understandably so he came off of several very productive seasons and instead of letting him go or instead of bringing him back Daniel they let him walk to Tampa Bay and he had several other very productive seasons after he left the Chargers for me that's definitely one of the guys that they let go and they should have never let him walk he was a great player and he should have stayed in lightning bolts well yeah and that's actually the next thing I was going to get into is just whether or not the Chargers made a big mistake by letting him walk in. This was not a production thing. I remember the cap situation, and it would have been tough to bring him back, but he did get franchise tagged at one point by the team. That led to some bad blood. He didn't have a good relationship with then-general manager A.J. Smith, and it was the wrong move. I mean, pretty much unequivocally, he was still one of the best receivers 
in the NFL over the next three seasons. So if they had signed him to even a four-year extension at that point, it would have been well worth it with what he was able to do. I mean, he had seven out of eight seasons where he went over 1,000 receiving yards overall. The only season he didn't in that span was a season he only played in five games. And the next three seasons after he went to the Buccaneers, he was still so good that he averaged 73 catches, 1,200 receiving yards, and six touchdowns over that span including, you know, a big fat FU right in the face of the Chargers just because the next season he put up a career-high 1,384 yards. He also at that point recorded a career-high at 72 catches. He would surpass it the next season, but also scored eight touchdowns. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. He also And 19.2 yards per reception, Daniel, which is unreal. That every time he's catching the ball, he's going for 20 yards. That's two first downs. Every time the ball hits his hands, that is unfathomable to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of that fathomable just because we just saw Mike Williams average over 20 yards per catch at the NFL level. But even Mike Williams, with how much of a big play receiver he is for his career, only averages 16.7. I say only, but Vincent Jackson basically did that, put up close to the same average, but also had about 20 more catches than Mike Williams had in the 2019 season where he averaged 20 yards per catch. So Vincent Jackson was just, if you watched him play as a Chargers fan growing up, I know he was pretty much a lot of young Charger fans' favorite wide receiver, him and Malcolm Floyd. And he was one of the best playmakers on a team that had guys like Antonio Gates, guys like Darren Sproles. And out of all the guys that left the Chargers to have more success, I mean, him and Darren Sproles are the guys that really stand out to me that were able to go into a different system and really show off as a former Charger, especially in recent history. I mean, he was a guy that absolutely proved the Chargers wrong, and he will still go down as a Chargers great, even if he didn't have the long extended success with the team what he was able to do in those seven seasons as a guy who was picked from northern Colorado in the second round by the Chargers a guy they took a chance on I mean he more than lived up to the billing and he was one of the most exciting explosive receivers the Chargers have ever had but we do have two more segments that we have to get into definitely just wanted to wish and just give all of our thoughts and prayers to Vincent Jackson's family his wife and his kids all of his friends definitely feeling for them in this moment but Definitely glad we got to reflect on somebody who was, you know, an all-time Charger when I was growing up. One of the best guys of a couple of really, really good teams for the Chargers. So we do have to get into the next segment, though. We are going to be getting into the latest report that the Chargers have expressed interest in Orlando Brown Jr., but also that he might not be a scheme fit for the Chargers. So maybe that's a moot point. So we're going to get into that coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that the official betting sponsor of the Locked On Chargers podcast is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football may be over, but NBA, college basketball, and NHL are still in full swing. And if you guys want to bet on football stuff, there's a ton of draft bets that I know I will be partaking in. I mean, you can talk about who's going to be the second quarterback taken off the board. You can talk about which receiver, whether it's Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith is going to be picked first in the draft, so I'm going to be all over that. And since you guys listen to the show, we have a special offer for you. If you guys go to betonline.ag and create a free account, you can get a 50% welcome bonus with the promo code LOCKEDON. So just go on to betonline.ag and they will give you some free money when you use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, one word for your 50% welcome bonus. 
All right, well, one of the things that is still very much circulating around Chargers Twitter and Chargers social media is the Chargers' interest in Ravens tackle Orlando Brown Jr., who has publicly come out and requested a trade. The team has given his agent permission to go out and try to find trade partners for the Ravens, and the Ravens are adamant about wanting to get the value for him in any sort of trade. So it does seem like he will be moved in. Now the Chargers have been officially linked to him because Jason Lockhamfora, an NFL reporter who, let's be honest, I mean, he's definitely had his moments where things haven't come to fruition that he's talked about. But even in this case, I mean, he seems to be hedging his bet just because his actual quote on the three teams being linked to the Chargers is basically this. What he says, the Jaguars, Chargers, and Colts make a lot of sense as potential suitors for Ravens left tackle slash right tackle. Orlando Brown Jr. as his agent continues to pursue trade options after being granted permission to do so. All have at least some degree of interest. So what that implies, David, is they have talked at some point. And we don't know, you know, where he's getting his sources are. We don't even know how seriously that we should take this. But If it's true, it would show you at least that the Chargers are at least very serious about trying to really improve this offensive line. Yeah, and we've heard the Chargers in the past say that they were serious about fixing certain problems and then not really explore every single avenue in trying to address those problems. But if they have reached out to the Ravens, when there is clearly some dissent there between Orlando Brown Jr. and the Ravens, given the fact that he has been given permission to look for trades, the Chargers should talk to them and should try to feel it out and try to figure out what it would take and how they could try to put a deal together because they haven't done enough to address that offensive line position. We it's been unser- it's been unceremoniously bad the last several years and it's time. And I think Tom Telesco now knows that that he can't wait any longer to address this. He can't because his job is on the line now. I think he understands that if he doesn't make some significant improvement on the offensive line, an offensive line that's been really, really bad, that his job is probably going to be up. I mean, it's the, the time is now to address this. And if he is serious about it, then he is having these conversations because it needs to happen. Yeah, I agree, too. And we're going to get into why, you know, maybe we should be a little bit skeptical about that later on in this segment. But we're not going to be able to play all the voicemails. I wanted to incorporate some of the voicemails into this segment. And we don't have time to play them all. But I did want to mention that Zach, superfan Zach from Florida, did call in and just talk about the fact if the Chargers do trade for Orlando Brown Jr. and they don't have to give up their first round pick. What position are you now attacking with that 13th overall pick, right? And I do think, David, if you do go out and trade for Orlando Brand Jr., obviously in this case it's not a first-round pick, so maybe you lose your second-round pick and you have to start targeting other positions in the third round after that 13th overall pick. But it may give you some flexibility, especially you know if one of the top corners falls. If you want to try to address another position at 13th overall, it wouldn't be so egregious if they acquired someone like Orlando Brown Jr., yeah, I mean, if you have proven talent, uh, a proven commodity that you already have in the building, then, yeah, that frees you up to explore some other options because there are other things that the Chargers need to get done in this draft. They're not just one or two moves away. They have several things that they need to improve upon if they really have serious aspirations of turning this around and starting to win more games on a more consistent basis. So if they get Orlando Brown Jr., then 
maybe they can get the best pass rusher available. Maybe they can get the best corner available. Maybe they can get a great dynamic defensive lineman or another offensive lineman because they don't just need to tackle. There are several positions that they could shore up and and they need to. So, yeah, if they get Orlando Brown Jr., then that could definitely allow them to get another premium position attacked with another premium pick. Yeah, and as Zach said in his voicemail, I mean, maybe you do still go after someone like Elijah Vera Tucker. Maybe then instead you go for someone like Wyatt Davis or even Creed Humphrey potentially later on. I don't think you would do that in the first round, but I don't think it even, you know, excludes you from taking a guy like Rayshon Slater in that sense if he's available. Maybe you bring him in as a guard and know that he's going to be, you know, the eventual guy at right tackle taking over for Brian Bulaga eventually. I mean, there's definitely a lot of different options, but... I did want to give a shout out to Craig who called in with a voicemail that at least gives a different opinion. And I'm a guy who plays a lot of devil's advocate, so I can definitely appreciate when someone wants to call in and see things a little bit differently. And I think Craig has a valid point. So let's hear what Craig thinks about potentially Orlando Brown Jr. not being a scheme fit for the Chargers. What's going on, fellas? It's Craig out in Texas. And um, I won't take up a ton of your time. Uh, I know it's been a little bit since I've called, but just kind of been sitting back doing some analysis of my own. And looking at what the Chargers may be doing going forward, and um, just want to kind of touch on this whole thing with Orlando Brown, man. I think fans have this wrong, and I mean this is my personal opinion, but I'm just looking at you know what exists and kind of connecting the dots. The guy isn't a scheme fit. I mean, if we're talking about you know players that come from like this hybrid type of Shanahan, Peyton like offense that uh, the Chargers are supposedly moving to. Um, go look at those offenses and look at the left tackles. Brown doesn't fit the athletic profile whatsoever. I mean, he's a big guy that comes from uh, uh, upfield run-first offense. I mean, we're talking about, like, heavy pound-the-rock type schemes. He's not a guy that's built to move out in space. I mean, all you have to do is go back and look at his actual combine. You'll see that physically he's not that type of cat. So I get it, man. Everybody sees the name. Um, and they kind of get excited about it, and they see what he was able to do in just a small sample size of left tackle, but look at that offense. It's catered to his type of play, his style of body, and um, his athletic profile. So uh, that's all I got, man. Uh, let me know what you guys think, and um, I know I'm catching flag for it, but, I mean, again, I'm just looking at, you know, what exists and following the facts, man. You know, that's my thing, facts over feelings. So, as always, both gang it on bang. Take it easy. Later. So let me first start by saying, Craig, I do think that is something to be concerned about. I mean, after you had sent this in, I definitely went back and watched more just to compare it to someone like Kyle Shanahan up with the 49ers or even Sean Payton. And even with the Saints, it's hard to tell what the offense would really look like, right? If they weren't working with Drew Brees' limitations or trying to find a way to make Taysom Hill a good quarterback. But One of the things a lot of those teams are doing is getting those linemen into the second level to create those big running plays and moving those guys around a lot. And what I would say is Orlando Brown Jr. physically for that athletic profile might not fit exactly that. But at the same time, I felt comfortable enough in what I watched from him that he is a very good pass protector in the snaps that I saw. And obviously it's very limited at left tackle. I do think that's a concern as well. But I'm also of the belief that if he comes in and plays pretty well, You know, if he's an above average left tackle, I'm willing to pay him. And I'm also willing to make that trade just because that would be so much better than the results the Chargers have gotten. Also, remembering that he's played in every 
NFL game that he's had. I mean, he's played in all 48 games of his young career, so I think that's important as well. But I do think, I mean, seeing him move around a lot, I think he's definitely more catered to a power scheme. And I think when you're looking at some of these other teams, like the Colts who want to be a hard-nosed football team, maybe it does make more sense for their scheme. But I also think at the same time, if the Chargers make the move, and, you know, obviously knowing what Brandon Staley and what Joe Lombardi want to do, they obviously envision the role for him. They think he'd be fine to fill in as their left tackle, and I would give them that benefit of the doubt going after guys they think could work in their system since we don't know what the system is yet. But I absolutely agree that that is something more people should be talking about. I also agree too, though, but I would just also say that there's always going to be a certain amount of risk. And I think since his combine where he put up a disastrous showing and where he dropped way down the draft, I think that it also showed that he's probably more athletic than he showed that day. Because for a guy that size to move around the way that he does, I was pretty impressed with. And most importantly, in pass protection, I think he has done a really, really good job as well. And that's one of the things I'm most focused on as far as protecting second-year quarterback Justin Herbert. But we do have one more segment to get into. We have a couple more voicemails to get into. We're going to get into a tribute to Marty Schottenheimer and just the way that he played football and what he meant to Chargers fans in his time here. And we're also going to be talking about a Penny Sewell or Orlando Brown Jr. question, which I think is very, very interesting. And we'll also get into why a defensive and offensive line is so important, especially shown in the Super Bowl with the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. And we're going to get into that coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that with the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need. It's almost impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront when you're trying to find auto parts. Instead, you can get everything that you need at the best price delivered right to your door with rockauto.com. RockAuto.com, since I started using it, has been the only site or only place that I'll ever go to get auto parts because it always gets shipped to my house very quickly. The other thing is, is especially, you know, with COVID and everything going on, I usually don't want to have to go out to get things like that. And I've already had to get multiple things from RockAuto.com. It's all been the right piece. I've never gotten the wrong thing and I've always gotten a good price, which for someone who doesn't know a lot about cars and has to ask his stepdad, who's a mechanic most times about these things. I really appreciate that because they're not just trying to trick me because I'm dumb about cars. But right now, if you want to use the best place to find your auto parts, all you have to do is go to rockauto.com to see all the parts they have available for your car or truck and write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box so they know we sent you? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, well, it's time to get into the final segment and get into a couple more voicemails, but... I did want to get into not a voicemail, and it was a message that we got on Twitter because this is something I'm sure some other people we've heard from some other international listeners have had to deal with, and that is, hey, to call into the Lockdown Chargers voicemail line in certain countries is very expensive. So this time we have a Marcus Sletbach. I hope that's how you pronounce it. I hope I'm not butchering that, but he messaged us and basically said this. Hey boys, I'm a new listener from Norway and I've enjoyed your conversations about Orlando Brown Jr. and the draft talks and everything like that. And I wanted to call in, but it would be mad expensive. So my question for you is this, would you rather have Orlando Brown Jr. or Panay Suel, given that the trades are relatively similar, obviously a trade where we'd send multiple first round picks are off of the table with Tom Telesco's draft and trade history. Keep being awesome. So appreciate that, Marcus. Anyone who has these issues and finds it really expensive to call in, we're always down to take questions like this. So we definitely want to include everyone. And David, this is a hell of a question because on one hand, you have a proven commodity in Orlando Brown Jr., but you're going to have to pay him left tackle money. Or you get Panay Sewell, who 
you know, until very recently was the no doubt about it number one tackle in this draft class. I do think it's at least worth the conversation. Oh, yeah, it's definitely worth the conversation. I mean, it's do you take the proven commodity, the the talent you already know, or do you go with the talent you are, have seen in, in college and looks to be transcendent? Uh, that's always the conversation. But for me, I'm going to Panay Suwa all day long, and it's because – like I said, I think he's a transcendent talent. I think he's a once-in-a-generation type of uh, offensive tackle, uh, left tackle in this league. There's already some continuity there between him and Justin Herbert as he was his blindside protector in college with the Oregon Ducks. And you get him on a rookie deal. <laughs> I mean, you get a, a franchise left tackle potentially on a five-year contract at a much more cost-effective rate than Orlando Brown Jr. And he might be a better fit. And it allows you flexibility to address other needs with that money. So for me, it's a great question, but it's a simple answer. And it's definitely Panay Sewell all day long. Well, and I think I would tend to agree. So I think the then question becomes, where do you draw the line, right? Is it Rayshon Slater over Orlando Brown Jr.? I think those are all pretty good questions. But the problem is, is... When you get into free agency or when you're deciding on trading for Orlando Brown Jr., you don't know who's going to fall to you at the 13th overall pick. I mean, yes, it's nice to get into the Draft Network's mock draft and have you know Rayshon Slater fall to you, but you don't even necessarily know if that's who's going to be there. So I think that's what makes it tricky, but... I think or in, what players are going to be available in free agency because there's going to be some cap casualties out there. I mean, we right. know there's several teams that are way over the cap right now, and there are some people that are going to get cut that the Chargers might want to swoop up. And the other thing, going back to Craig's point, is yes, Panesuo, as far as the athletic profile, would fit the scheme the Chargers could be running potentially with Brandon Staley, Joe Lombardi, and even Shane Day to some extent coming from San Francisco. What their offense is going to look like, he's definitely more athletic in that sense, can move around a little bit better and has that rapport with Justin Herbert. But I do think that getting a guy like that, having a guy who some people think could be, you know, as high as the second or third pick and being able to get him at 13 for five seasons on a rookie contract, I think you have to go that direction on that one and take Panay Sewell. But let's get into the next one. This time we have a Curtis Loki who wants to talk about Marty Schottenheimer and what he meant to him as a young fan growing up watching the Chargers. Hey guys, Curtis Loki. Uh, just, uh, wanted to say rest in peace to Mr. Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, you know, it's this one kind of hits home a little bit just because, you know, I, I'm, I'm 29 years old, and um, around that time of when I actually knew what football truly was and uh, where and how I chose my favorite team as, as I was growing up, uh, Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach. I mean, obviously, we had a wonderful team, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, it was that style of football that I fell in love with. And it's just a shame, man, because it's always, you know, it's what could have been. And um, it's, just, it's just a bummer, you know. I don't think, I'm sure his family realizes it, but, uh, you know, it's just unfortunate all the things that he was able to accomplish for the Chargers and the Chargers fans and, uh, you know, made us appreciate the team that much more. So he got none of the great memories. I sure hope his family is going is, is gonna to make it through all this and, uh, yeah, man, just wanted to give a shout-out to Mr. Marty Schottenheimer. All right, go Bulls. Curtis, I definitely know how you feel about like that attitude of football. I mean, when I was growing up, I definitely thought, yeah, you want to have a tough-ass defense that nobody wants to play against, and you want to be able to run the football and have 
a great running back like Ladania and Tomlinson. And, and Tomlinson would be good in any era. I mean, the way he was able to receive and run the ball, I mean, definitely made that Marty system look better. But Marty had a lot of success with a lot of different teams, and he definitely had that old school nature of, you know, pound the rock, play good defense. I'm happy winning a 6-3 to three game as much as I'd be happy to win, you know, 40-10 to 10 or something along those lines. So I definitely understand that, Dave, and he definitely was one of those guys that really embodied that hard-nosed nature of football. Yeah, I mean, and to a lot of us in this generation where we're at right now, I mean, he was the introduction to Chargers football as we know it. I mean, with LT and how incredibly productive he was and that offense that he catered to and just that style of coach, I mean, it just he was unquestioned in, in who he was and his presence. I mean, he was probably one of the biggest ticket coaches that the Chargers organization has brought in. I mean, considering their track record of hiring coaches, they haven't really brought in a lot of guys that have won a lot of football games. And when they brought in Marty Schottenheimer, there was already an excellence there of what he what he did in the regular season. So, yeah, I mean, Marty Schottenheimer definitely going to be someone that we're never going to forget and uh, well, obviously going to be very thankful for his contributions as the Chargers head coach. And a guy who meant especially a lot to people like us to when we came into being, you know, Chargers fans as young children back in the day, he was the coach that was like the original, you know, guy. He was the only guy for a while. And I remember being shocked when he was fired, but what an incredibly just sad week, you know, for Chargers fans thinking back on, you know, two guys that played for, you know, or coached one of the best teams that we've ever seen from the Chargers that 14 and two season and, you know, two major contributors to that. Definitely a sad week having to think about those guys and guys that are just lost to such bad circumstances. So definitely glad to be able to, you know, pay homage to those guys, but definitely a sad couple of weeks for Charger fans. But we do have one more to get into, one more voicemail. This one's Roberto calling from Mexico, bringing up a great point. Hello, guys. This is Roberto. I hope you're all doing pretty well. Love the show, as you probably already know. And... I have a few comments that I want to make. Uh, first hand, I think that it's pretty obvious now what the formula to winning is in the NFL. I mean, after watching the yesterday's the game, the Super Bowl, I was just amazed by the like how important it is to get the the offensive line right. I mean, I've, I've been saying this since the playoffs done. But this game really blew blow my mind. It blew my mind. I mean, it was something incredible, man. Like, I don't care if you're Patrick Mahomes or if you are Lamar Jackson or whoever you are. It doesn't matter who you are. If your offensive line is trash, there's no way you can be competitive. I mean, it's confirmed yesterday. That was confirmed yesterday. And in the other hand, uh, well, I, I, I obviously I'm... Uh, I'm not a big fan of Brady, but I respect him, and his offensive line was just amazing. And it was proven all, all over the playoffs, so the Chargers need to fix his offensive line. And I don't care if they have to trade a first-rounder for Orlando Brown from the Ravens, but they just got to do something. Man. There's no way that the Chargers can compete without an offensive line. It was proven yesterday. I think Telesco in the front office takes a look at it. And I also hope that... Uh, that we invest in the defensive linemen as well. Like the way that uh, Dominican Sue and uh, Pierre Paul and Barrett were playing yesterday, I mean, it was just unreal, man. What a 
performance of Tampa. But yeah, go Bulls. So this is music to David's ears because obviously, you know, what has David been saying? Build it in the trenches. And when you're the Chargers, I think the one guy that I really thought made such a big difference that, you know, many people wouldn't know just because he didn't put up the stats was Vita Vea. I mean, that guy wrecked so many plays in that game. And some other guys ended up getting credit a lot of the times just because, you know, he was running Patrick Mahomes or ball carriers right into the open arms of defenders. But Having that dominant defensive line, having a great offensive line, as he says, Dave, it doesn't matter if you have Patrick Mahomes because all those times, you know, he's running out doing all these crazy things and sometimes it's still not enough. And the team who has, you know, a great quarterback, Tom Brady, but also had the much better defense and the much better offensive line in that game was the dominant team. Exactly. And we've seen this in the playoff teams year after year after year. The teams that have the best offensive and defensive lines nine times out of ten are the teams that are playing in January and February. And that's simply not been the case for the Chargers. The Chargers have not had an adequate offensive line in probably close to a decade. And the Chargers haven't had that nasty defensive line it seems like since Jamal Williams was in the middle of it. Like Vita Vea you talked about on, Mm -hmm. on the Bucks. So they need, obviously, and we've been talking about this relentlessly, but yes, my my mantra is build it from the inside out. As soon as the Chargers do that, I we already know that they have the skill position players. That's the missing piece. Build the offense and, and defensive line and see how much more success you're going to have. Well, and the other big thing to me is I just think, and I've said this a couple of times before, just the fact that with offensive linemen and defensive linemen a lot of the time you're not going to hit on those guys late in drafts you're much more likely to see you know a talented receiver slip to the third round or a really talented running back slip to the third round or even tight end positions like that I mean we've seen some really good tight ends like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle that probably we would be taking a lot higher if we were redrafting those classes and I think there's just other positions that it takes more and more draft capital to get those positions right and I think the defensive line especially on the interior finding pass rushers on the inside which they tried to do with Jerry Tillery and finding skilled offensive linemen is as hard now as it's ever been and I think that's all a direct cause from not you know building these things from the inside and when these expensive free agents you bring in don't work out like you know Brian Bulagalas or even bringing in Trey Turner with a trade or bringing in Orlando Franklin I mean Russell Lacoon definitely worked out. Guys like King Dunlap and even Joe Barksdale worked out for a shorter amount of time and then were given bigger contracts and it's never worked out. So those have really killed the Chargers in the past. You can't just get a free agent band-aid and pretend that everything's fixed. So I think those are both great points, Roberto. And I think when the Chargers get those things figured out, that can turn them into a consistent contender in the NFL. But that is going to wrap things up for today's show. Thank you to everybody for listening. If you don't already, make sure to go subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Wherever you can find them, you can find the Locked On Chargers podcast and make sure to rate and review as well. We would really appreciate that. If you don't already, make sure to go follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC, where we all kind of give our input on there on different things. And don't forget to like the Facebook page as well, Locked On Chargers, or the new Instagram page we have at Locked On Chargers. If you guys want to get on the next voicemail show, the number is 323-524-7924. 
and we try to get every Chargers voicemail played on the show. And we're going to start incorporating Twitter Tuesday in a little bit too. So we're definitely going to be asking you guys for some questions on there as well, just to keep up the fan interaction. But we'll be back with you guys tomorrow with the latest Chargers news, maybe a little bit of news about Forrest Lamp thinking he might be elsewhere in 2021. So we're going to get into that and much more tomorrow. But until then, take it easy and go Bolts.